Today on the Matt Wall Show, the entire gender transition industry is built on lies. We will reveal today the results of our weeks-long undercover investigation that exposes this fraud. You don't want to miss it. Also, an activist judge in Florida declares that gender identity is real. What does that mean? And does he even know what it means? And also, Vivek Ramaswamy gives the best answer on Ukraine that any presidential candidate has given so far. In our daily cancellation, the artist formerly known as Ellen Page claims that she was viciously hate-crimed by a right-wing transphobic bigot in Hollywood, where all transphobic bigots uh, are known to hang out. We'll talk about all that today on The Matt Walsh Show. Did you notice that big tech companies today are masquerading as private companies? Are we supposed to believe that a big tech wolf has now turned into our sweet grandma? Big tech literally feeds on your information by collecting and selling off your data. They, can, they can't stop themselves from looking at what you do online. That's why to protect myself against big tech's prying eyes, I use ExpressVPN. When using the ExpressVPN app on your computer or your phone, you're hiding your unique IP address. Websites can't use that address to find out your real location or track what you do online. On top of that, ExpressVPN encrypts and reroutes 100% of your online activity so your internet provider, Wi-Fi admin, and hackers can't see it. Best part, though, is how easy it is to use. It just takes one click to protect all your devices. One ExpressVPN subscription covers up to five devices at the same time, so you can protect your entire family, too. So today's the day. Get the VPN that I trust to protect my online privacy when big, bad tech is at the door. Visit expressvpn.com slash Walsh right now to get three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Walsh to get protected. Expressvpn.com slash Walsh. One of the arguments you hear a lot in the debate over gender ideology across the political spectrum is that adults should be able to do what they want. You know, this is the supposedly moderate position. Several presidential candidates believe it. Millions of Americans believe it, too. As long as you stay away from the kids, they tell you, then there's no problem. The moment you hit 18 years old, do what you want. Live your truth. It's not hard to see why that position is tempting for some people. Children obviously can't consent to life-altering procedures, including Gen genital mutilation and castration, especially those. Adults, on the other hand, are able to consent to a lot of things. They can buy uh, guns, they can vote, they can serve in the military. So if they want to pay a doctor to carve up their bodies, then what's the big deal? That's the argument you hear again and again. No one really means it, though. And you know that no one means it because none of the people making that argument would use that same reasoning to justify, say, lobotomies. If you walked into a doctor's office today and asked him to drill a hole in your head and sever your, sever your prefrontal cortex in order to make you feel better about your life, he would say no. And if he did it, he would go to prison. No amount of informed consent, no matter how old you were, could possibly justify it. It's barbaric. Tens of thousands of people's lives were ruined by lobotomies. And everybody recognizes that now. Nobody's marching in defense of lobotomy-affirming care. So, if you defend these gruesome, quote-unquote, gender-affirming procedures on adults, you're not really saying that adults should be able to do what they want. You're saying that, yes, people can change their sex if they want. You're conceding that these procedures, slicing up a woman's arm to make a fake penis, lopping off healthy breasts, grafting fake nipples onto patients' chests, etc., are medically reasonable. And in the absence of any kind of statistical data about positive long-term outcomes of these surgeries— you're trusting the doctors to follow an established standard of care. You're assuming that they're not going to just mutilate anyone who walks in the door without regard for what happens to these people afterwards. The problem is that the entire industry of gender-affirming care is a scam. The whole thing. 
And we know that because we just spent weeks investigating the largest providers of so-called trans healthcare in the country. We went undercover at one of them. And what we found is that there are no real standards of care governing any of this. To be clear, there are standards of care, quote unquote, on paper, and they're provided by the transgender activist group WPATH. WPATH standards are used by major hospitals in this country, including UCLA, UCSF, Mass General, just to name a few. How rigorous are these standards exactly? Well, after a 22-minute video call, the largest trans healthcare provider in the country, carefully following the WPATH guidelines, approved one of my producers, Greg Ray, for an orchiectomy. That means testicle removal. Now, 22 minutes would be a record time to get approved for an orchiectomy if you had a real medical reason for it, like testicular cancer. It's insane to approve any serious procedure that quickly, having just met a patient in a video call for the first time, but that's what happened. And we recorded the whole call. At no point did anyone at this healthcare provider, which is called Plume, push back in any way. They didn't suggest that maybe this was a rash course of action. They didn't verify any of the information Greg provided, including his fake name that he gave them. All Plume did was insist that he pay 150 bucks. If Greg did that, they promised to write him a medically sound letter in support of life-altering surgery. That letter under the WPATH standards is required for anyone trying to get transgender surgery in the United States. You have to get one of these letters from a healthcare provider and then present it to your surgeon. And Plume rubber-stamped Greg's letter in 22 minutes. And not all that time was spent discussing the surgery, by the way. Some of the conversation was about traffic and the weather. As I speak, we've uploaded footage of the call on Twitter. You can watch it there right now. In a moment, we'll show you parts of it. Um, in this video call, Greg assumed the name Chelsea Bussey. He didn't dress up as a woman. He didn't wear any women's clothing or makeup or any of that. He didn't go to Party City and dye his hair blue. He just told them he identified as a woman and that he was taking hormones prescribed by his father. Greg couldn't even pronounce the name of the surgery he wanted. He called it an orchidectomy. He claimed at one point that the surgery, uh, that the reason he wanted the surgery is that it would speed up his non-existent transition, which the plume nurse said didn't make any sense from a medical perspective, but none of that raised any red flags for Plume. The nurse told Greg she wanted to write him the strongest letter she could anyway. Watch. Um, so you currently on estrogen. You're taking six milligrams a day. Twice a day. Yeah, just, right, right, you got it. So you're taking um, 1.5 tablets yeah. a day? Yeah. Um, and then... Significant history. All right. Um, okay, so let's let's kind of get into this a little bit. So you are seeking what surgery? Things that things that are ir of course you probably don't know things that are irreversible when it comes to um, uh, estrogen-based therapy is breast development and testicular shrinkage, right? But there's always a possibility for hair growth to come back. That may that may change in orchiectomy. Once you stop, um, once you don't no longer have your testes, um, you no longer have the ability for your teeth to convert to BHT because you don't have as much teeth, right? So hair hair growth, facial and body hair may change with after orchiectomy. Fat redistribution is affected by the estrogen. So you may have less of a change in fat redistribution if you ever stop eating, but you may it may change as a whole. So it, it's it's kind of it's kind of um 
it kind of does have a benefit without the spironolactone, but you still want to take, you still probably would definitely want to take estrogen. Mm. I'm not. I'm not complaining about the daily pills. Just to be clear, I'm compla- I'm just saying if it accelerates it, then it makes things faster. Then that's bad. Um, give me a little bit of history with your gender dysphoria. That may kind of help me. I want to. I want to make this letter as as solid as possible to be like this orgasm is definitely needed. I'll tell you. Yeah, I'm happy to. So when I was I was in school and I actually uh, wrote a big essay um, for admission to a club about how I didn't feel like my biological sex went along with how I felt. And and I told people that and they thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> so, cause they thought I just, I just look like a guy. So they like, this, this is ridiculous. Now, a couple of days after that uh, discussion, as we document on Twitter, Plume sent Greg a letter diagnosing him with significant and ongoing gender dysphoria. Therefore, Plume said he was an appropriate candidate for orchiectomy. According to Plume, testicle removal would help Greg make significant progress in alleviating his dysphoria. Now, even after Greg followed up with text messages to Plume explaining that he doesn't have dysphoria, they didn't retract or amend that letter in any way. There's no excuse for that, obviously. Plume had multiple opportunities to tell the truth in their letter, and they chose not to. In his intake form, Greg indicated he didn't have dysphoria for six months or more. Didn't have it. That means under the current version of the DSM, he never should have been diagnosed with gender dysphoria in the first place. But Plume never once asked Greg about this in his video interview. Instead, they just said that uh, he had dysphoria in the letter, which they intended to be used by a surgeon who would then carve up Greg's testicles. Why didn't Plume amend the letter once they were made aware that Greg didn't have dysphoria? As Plume's nurse explained, in order for the surgery to be paid for, quote unquote, uh, the diagnosis would need to remain. In other words, insurance companies won't pay for the operation unless the letter contains a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. So they're going to put that diagnosis in there regardless. That's why Plume uses templates that include the gender dysphoria diagnostic code. It appears very much so that they plug whatever information patients feed them into this generic template, whether or not those patients actually have the diagnosis. The templates are provided by WPATH, by the way, and Plume admitted that to us. It's not hard to conclude that this operation is fraudulent, but what do insurers think of it? What does Aetna and uh, United Health think of it? What's their position on paying for surgeries based on cooked up diagnostic codes? What about Cigna? We understand those insurance companies work directly with Plume. What about David Sachs, whose venture capital firm is one of the many that's funding Plume? What are his thoughts on this? Is he aware this is happening? Those are good questions. But the problem is much bigger than Plume. That's what you have to understand. They're far from the only ones doing this. Folks, F-O-L-X, for example, is a major competitor of Plume. They're in almost every state in the country. They're also extremely well-funded by venture capitalists. Folks like Plume also sells letters that authorize surgeries under the WPATH guidelines. On their website, Folks admits, and I'm quoting, It's quite possible that the information in a letter may not be specific to you. For example, they may use a gender dysphoria diagnosis, but you really do not have dysphoria. You may uh, may not fit this diagnostic code exactly, but in some cases the code is needed in order for insurers to pay for the surgery. Now we reached out to folks to ask them about this and they confirmed that a diagnosis, which they put in scare quotes, was necessary in order for insurance companies to pay out. 
So that's why they put it in there. Again, that's probably news to the insurance companies, but the bigger issue, of course, is what's happening to the patients who are mutilated as part of this process. It's not just Plume and folks who are authorizing surgeries like this. There's a whole network of doctors who crank out these letters. It's called the Gender Affirmative Letter Access Project, or Gallup. Think of the lives that these doctors and these companies are destroying for profit. Listen, if they will approve Greg for castration in 22 minutes after he said he doesn't have dysphoria, they will approve anyone. I mean, anyone. Many of the luminaries in the field will admit that, by the way. On Twitter, we highlighted this training session from the Juniper Center, which is one of the largest gender therapy practices in the Chicagoland area. I want you to watch as the licensed clinical social worker named Ari Groner explains that she'll rubber stamp whatever letter patients want. She says she'll even authorize a suicidal patient for surgery because she's not a gatekeeper. In fact, Groner says that if her patient is suicidal, that, that would make the case even stronger for surgery. Listen to this. Any psych history that might be helpful to sort of showing the necessity. So if let's say a client has a psych history that includes like suicidal ideation or a suicide attempt, and you can connect it to the gender dysphoria, that actually can be sort of a, a positive persuasive essay piece. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Cause you can kind of show what this is so necessary, right? This is how this is impacting this person's life. And this is why this procedure is necessary and, and needed. I have found that when I frame it in a, you know, we're going to kind of use this as a persuasive essay and we're going to really, you know, kind of stick it to them. There's, there's a little bit more fun with it in the way we even use language. So I found that to kind of be helpful with clients and who's asking us to write these letters. So oftentimes we're, we're being asked by surgeons or physicians, but in reality, it's really for the insurance companies. Um, that's what the letters are really for. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind. We have to use the DSM in our letters for insurance company. So I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. As y'all can tell, I'm not like the biggest DSM fan. So I just think it's important to highlight because of this requirement. And this is something I'll explain to the client. So I'll talk about, you know, your insurance company is saying as, you know, or sort of a requirement for this letter for the surgery that you have to have this diagnosis. And, and we'll kind of talk about that. So knowing that this, you know, sort of American Psychological Association or DSM, there's this history of pathologizing and categorizing queer people as sort of sexual deviants, there is that minimal trust. So what I talk about is that we're using the diagnosis to ensure that clients get that necessary treatment. So these are letters that are uh, necessary to approve life-altering mutilation procedures. And the people responsible for the letters, uh, in this case, this woman, uh, describing them as persuasive essays that she has fun with. Now, if you're defending gender-affirming care, quote-unquote, for adults, this is what you're supporting. You are saying that it's reasonable for medical professionals to listen to a suicidal patient who isn't thinking clearly and approve them for surgical castration within minutes. You're saying there should be no barriers to this kind of mutilation whatsoever. At that point, why not bring back lobotomies? What's the serious principled argument against it? No serious person can defend this industry. It's completely corrupted at every level. 
It's not just targeting children, although it's certainly doing that as well. The underlying claims and promises of the entire gender-affirming industry are lies, and they are lies propped up by even more lies, as we just showed you. And we'll have much more on WPATH soon, by the way, and how they became so prominent in this field. It's a truly disturbing story. Their supposedly rigorous standards of care are purpose-built to be manipulated, as we've now revealed. A lot more on that. The practical effect of, of these WPATH standards isn't to protect patients. Instead, the WPATH standards protect doctors who butcher their patients. These doctors understand that they need to follow some kind of standard of care, quote-unquote, or else they'll eventually get sued into the ground for malpractice by the patients they're disfiguring. So medical providers point to the WPATH standards and say, look, we follow the standards. These gruesome surgeries are, in fact, legitimate medical care. Now it's time to put an end to this. Insurance companies should cut off these providers. Investors should stop funding this barbarism. And at the political level, we need laws so that any doctor who mutilates patients or lies to insurance companies goes to prison, regardless of the patient's age. Florida recently passed a law outlawing, among other things, trans telehealth services that require in-person visits for most of these procedures. That's a start, which is why the media and trans activists are furious about it. They're probably going to sue to block that portion of the law, just like they blocked the part of the law outlying child castration yesterday. But once people see the truth about what's happening, the radical gender activists won't win that fight. That's why we published our investigation today. The truth is obvious and undeniable. Now that the standards of care have been exposed for what they are, there's nothing to stop a flood of lawsuits that could shut down these butchers. We saw it in the UK with Tavis Stock. If something like that happens here, it could save tens of thousands of lives. That's why this investigation is just one part of what we have planned for Pride Month. We're going to expose the full extent of the depravity that you're told and uh, insisted that you must believe is medically legitimate. We're going to show you the truth behind all the euphemisms. We're going to reveal how exactly activists have managed to hijack the medical profession so they can mutilate patients for profit. And this is just the beginning. Now let's get to our five headlines. With everything going on in the world right now, you could really use a good night's sleep. And that's why you need to check out Helix Mattress. Helix has harnessed years of extensive mattress expertise to bring their customers a truly elevated sleep experience. They just launched their new Helix Elite. The Helix Elite collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. I've had my Helix for years now, and I absolutely love it. Night after night, I sleep like a sweet, sweet baby, and I want the same for all of you. Helix has a sleep quiz that uh, matches your body type and preferences to the perfect mattress, because why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? Go to helixsleep.com Walsh and take their two-minute sleep quiz to find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. Their uh, flexible payment plans make it so that a great night's sleep is never far away. For a limited time, Helix is giving you 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. You can take advantage of this amazing offer at helixsleep.com Walsh. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Daily Wire has this report. A federal judge on Tuesday concluded gender identity is real in a ruling that partially strikes down Florida's new law banning doctors from prescribing puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to minors, which uh, we just mentioned this uh, ruling um, briefly in the monologue. Judge Robert Hinkle issued a preliminary injunction against Senate Bill 254, which also criminalizes permanent mutilating surgical procedures and mandates that a health care practitioner's license be terminated if they violate the law. 
Hinkle wrote in a 44-page ruling, the elephant in the room should be noted at the outset. Gender identity is real. The record makes this clear. Despite the, def the defense admissions, there are those who believe that cisgender individuals properly adhere to their natal sex and that transgender individuals have inappropriately chosen a contrary gender identity, male or female, just as one might choose to read uh, whether to read Shakespeare or Grisham. Hinkle continued. Hinkle's ruling centered around two 11-year-old girls and one 8-year-old boy whose parents filed the lawsuit against the state's Surgeon General, arguing that banning uh, these, uh, this stuff, the puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, violates the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. Well, that's really interesting uh, and horrifying. 11-year-old girl, 8-year-old. At the same time, we're told that, well, they're not doing these things to children that young. Well, yeah, well, parents of an eight-year-old sued so that they'd be able to mutilate their child, and a judge agreed with them. Did they do that because this never happens? So this is just a flat-out activist judge, trans activist judge. Now, this judge has a, a long history of judicial activism, siding with leftists on uh, spurious grounds, at, at you know, to say to say the least. Um, and in this case, making no effort to hide it using made-up nonsense terms like cisgender in his legal opinion, declaring that gender identity is real, which is a statement that means nothing. What do you mean gender identity is real? Like, what do you mean? Yes, it, it's real in the sense that it's really a concept that people talk about, and that was invented. So it's a real idea that people have. Um, it's a real term, it's, it's like a word that exists as a word, a term, uh, but it's, it's also a really incoherent and useless idea, and it's not an idea that, that has any kind of, uh, that, that ref is reflected in physical reality. And that's why, if you read this opinion, the judge is not going to be able to, now he can make statements, he can make assertions, gender identity is real, it's real. That's so what they're constantly saying. This is real. It's real. And then you say, well, okay, it's real. What is it then? What do you mean? What is it? What, what, what is it exactly? Well, they can't explain that. So let's not make any mistake about this. We, we focus so much, uh, and rightly so, on the what is a woman question. But let's not uh, be confused about this and believe that the word woman is the only term related to this issue that they can't define. Remember that they can't define any other term either. Okay, and this is in a, in a very literal sense. All of the terms that they use in relation to this issue, all of them are nonsensical and they can't define any of them. So when they talk about gender identity, gender expression, they use a, a, a phrase, a, a term like trans woman. And you try to get them to, to explain what exactly all of that is, it immediately falls apart into total nonsense. They can't do it. All they can do is they can assert it, they can't explain it. And now we have this from a judge. I also want to mention this. Uh, this is not a story yet, not a headline yet, but it will be. Uh, we got an email from. Uh, the reporters at uh, some reporters at Rolling Stone, and uh, my team got an email from reporters at Rolling Stone, and this is an email from someone named Nikki McCann Ramirez, 
And uh, when I when they sent me this email, and I, I recognized that name. I wasn't sure where I recognized it from, and I looked it up. And okay, sure enough, uh, Nikki McCann Ramirez used to be a shill over at Media Matters, and then she left Media Matters at some point, and now is a shill for Rolling Stone. So it's like the Media Matters, obviously far left activist group. They, Rolling Stone brings her over as a reporter. She is now a journalist. Here's the here's the email because this is kind of funny. And this also shows you, this is how these people operate, okay? Um, and any time, like any time you read a, a, a hit piece about someone, a conservative, in one of these uh, corporate media outlets, and it'll always say something like, we reached out to so-and-so, but didn't get a comment. And they put that in there, and then it, it's supposed to make it look like, oh, that person's hiding. They, they didn't want to talk about it. You really got them this time. Well, if you want to know why there's no comment, it's because when they reach out, th- this is what it sounds like. Here's the email. My name is Nikki McCann Ramirez, and I'm a politics reporter with Rolling Stone. We're reaching out because my colleague E.J. Dixon and I are working on a piece about right-wing influencers increasingly focused on posting transphobic content. And we're citing Mr. Matt Walsh as an example. As we have noticed, he has centered much of his content around transgender individuals in the past several years. Would he like to provide comment regarding why he has made this topic an area of focus and what initially drew his attention to it? Please let us know by tomorrow, EOD, if Mr. Walsh would like to add any add anything to our piece. That's so generous of you. Hey, we're about to publish a hit piece, um, and there's zero chance of it being objective or anything. And we don't care about Mr. Walsh's perspective in the least. We're going to call him a transphobe. It's a, it's an article all about how he's a transphobic bigot. Would he like to contribute to his own hit piece? I mean, never mind the fact that, and I, and they haven't published the article yet, but I'm going to assume that they're not going to put any disclaimer on the article noting that the journalists, quote unquote, involved in this article, um, used to work at Media Matters, are far left ideologues, and are on the record personally hating the people they're reporting on. They're not going to, there's going to be no disclaimer, no qualifications there. That won't be mentioned. Well, I did, uh, I did offer a response on Twitter anyway, and um, I said, and this is, you know, and, and this goes in general to any media outlet that wants to publish a hit piece on me, uh, and, you know, you're welcome to do it. Uh, I'm always happy for, for all the coverage. If you want me to contribute to it and you want my comment, I'm also happy to provide comment if you can first answer my question that I've been asking, uh, which is, you know, if you can provide a definition of the word woman, then I will give you a comment. So pretty simple. That's the trade. And that's what I would say to you, Nikki McCann-Ramirez. Just get, uh, you know, and you can email me, you can put it on Twitter, you can message it, however you want to do it. Send me what your definition of the word woman, and then I'll send you a comment. Right? It's fair trade. We'll see. We'll see if they take me up on the offer. Speaking of far-left organizations, uh, the Human Rights Campaign put out a press release yesterday, and it got a lot of coverage, as expected. Here's, the, here's the, uh, the headline of the press release. For the first time ever, Human Rights Campaign officially declares state of emergency for LGBTQ plus Americans, issues national warning and guidebook to ensure safety for LGBTQ residents and travelers. Uh, it says, today the Human Rights Campaign, the nation's largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer civil rights organization, officially declared a state of emergency for LGBTQ plus people in the United States for the first time in its more than 40-year history, following an unprecedented and dangerous spike in anti-LGBTQ plus legislative assaults sweeping state houses this year. 
state of emergency because some people disagree with you. A state of emergency because uh, some people, uh, there, there are states where you're not allowed to mutilate children anymore, which is absurd, obviously, but also... <laughs> This is where we are now, where these leftist activist groups think that they can declare a state of emergency. Okay, so, okay, you know what? I, I declare one too. I'm also declaring a state of emergency. State of emergency because of all the, uh, it's, it, we've, we have reached critical capacity with idiots, like those who work at the Human Rights Campaign of Media Matters and Rolling Stone. Due to the, the, just the sheer weight of all of this idiocy, it's threatening to break the idiot dam, and we're all going to be drowned in it. And so I am also right now today declaring a state of emergency, because that's apparently how it worked. Anyone can declare a state of emergency. Now, uh, you know, I laugh about it because I said, well, of course, they're not a government organization, so they can't declare a state of emergency. But in reality, they, they, they basically function like one. So maybe it's not a surprise that they think that they can make a declaration like this. Because the human rights campaign, it's a far-left activist group, but they essentially operate like a quasi-governmental agency. And they've been given that kind of power and that kind of authority. So that now they think they can declare states of emergency. And we might get to the point where that actually does have some sort of weight behind it. Um, all right, moving on to this. Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, a couple days ago, I wanted to play you this clip. He was uh, asked about the situation in Ukraine, and he gave his answer for how to handle it. And uh, of all the presidential candidates, I'm not sure I've seen anyone give a better answer than this. Let's listen. Let's talk about Ukraine. You said in a speech in New Hampshire on Friday that you would not spend another dime of American money on a war that does not affect our interests. You don't think the possibility of Russia taking over Ukraine is not is in our interest? I don't think that's a top foreign policy priority. But I did also in that same speech identify no, what I, is I our wanna, top priority. I want to stick to this for sure. a minute. You do not believe that Russia taking over Ukraine would be bad for our national interest. I do not think it is a top foreign policy priority for us. I don't think it is preferable for Russia to be able to invade a sovereign country that it's its neighbor. But I think the job of the U.S. president is to look after American interests. And what I think the number one threat to the U.S. military is right now, our top military threat, is the Sino-Russian alliance. I think that by fighting further in Russia, by further arming Ukraine, we are driving Russia into China's hands. And that Sino-Russian alliance is the top threat we faced. And what I've said is I would end this war in return for pulling Putin out of that treaty with China. How, how That's do you do this? No one tells Vladimir Putin what to do. That has not worked yet. And you said you would want to give him the Donbass. That well, would be rewarding Putin, wouldn't it? I don't trust Putin, but I do trust Putin to follow his self-interest. I don't think he enjoys being the little brother in the relationship with Xi Jinping. And so what I think we need to do is end the Ukraine war on peaceful terms that, yes, do make some major concessions to Russia, including freezing the current lines of control in a Korean War-style armistice agreement. Ukraine really wouldn't want to do. Which Ukraine wouldn't want to do, and also a permanent commitment not to allow Ukraine to enter NATO, but in return... Russia has to leave its treaty and its joint military agreement with China. That better advances American interests and actually further deters China from going after Taiwan. I mean, we've heard, we've heard a lot, I mean, way too much about Ukraine, including from all the presidential candidates on both sides. And, um, but I don't think we've heard anything as thorough uh, as that. And at least this is someone who is like engaging with the issue and, tr and actually trying to come up with what could be a practical solution. What we usually get uh, on Ukraine and really every other issue, just a bunch of platitudes. 
and assertions and, and all of that. But, but no one is saying, okay, well, here's the issue. Here's how we solve it. One, two, three. Very rarely, you know, do we get that from politicians generally, of course, uh, but especially on this, which I appreciate. And then, of course, you hear uh, the, the interviewer there shocked and appalled and saying, well, it makes con- major concessions to Russia. So what? Yeah, if you want to have peace, that's what is involved in having peace. You, you do make concessions. And you're, well, you're giving away piece, pieces of Ukraine to Russia, so who cares? Who cares? I don't care. Okay, it doesn't affect my family. It doesn't affect my, my country. You make concessions to Russia. Ukraine's not happy about it, but why should we care? You can't explain it. Why should we care whether Ukraine is happy? Um, what we do care about is the potential for world war, which they're the ones who have been telling us that that's where this could lead. So we do care about that. And, and that is something that affects us greatly. But we talk about America first. I mean, this, this is what America first sounds like. It's like, let's come up with a solution that will protect our interests. We're putting our interests first because... And we don't expect other countries to do that. That's the point. You, if, if you as a nation are not going to put your own interests first, then no one else will. And that just means your interests aren't being represented. As a nation, either you represent your own interests and you represent them uh, strongly and unwaveringly, or they won't be represented at all in the world. And that's all that America First really means. It's, it's really quite, uh, quite simple, I think. Here's another clip that's been uh, going around. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez went on a rant a couple days ago um, about how her faith leads her to support uh, the mutilation of kids and other atrocities. Let's listen to that. I know, and it is part of my faith, that all people are holy and all people are sacred, unconditionally And that is what makes faith sometimes, that's what what prompts us to transform because it is unconditional. It's not about that it is up to us to love parts of people. We love all people. There is nothing holy about rejecting medical care of people, no matter who they are on the grounds of what their identity is. There is nothing holy about turning someone away from a hospital. There's nothing holy about about rejecting a child from a family. There's nothing holy about writing discrimination into the law. And I am tired of communities of being of faith being weaponized and being mischaracterized because the only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination. I'm tired of it. It is not up to us. It is not up to us to deny medical care. It is up to us to feed the hungry, to clothe the poor, to protect children, and to love all people as ourselves. Absolutely. On that last bit, anyway, it is up to us to protect children, including protecting them from being sterilized and castrated, you freak. You disgusting monster. Uh, I agree that we shouldn't, we should never reject medical care to anyone. If somebody needs medical care, you know, they need to get medical care. And then there should never be any law, certainly. Certainly never, should never be any law that would prohibit anyone from getting medical care. 
Um, however, castrating and sterilizing people, especially kids, but really anybody, is not medical care. It's not care, and it's not, there's nothing me- medical going on here. Medicine is about heating, uh, healing and treating and curing. And so that's not medical care. Also, um, and, and I, I agree with one other thing she said, which she says that her faith and her religion leads her to all these conclusions. I totally believe that. Her, her faith in leftism, in the religion of left, leftism, which is Satanism, which is indistinguishable from Satanism. It's the worship of the self. And so, yes, her faith, that faith has led her to all these conclusions. She says all people are holy, which is nonsense. Okay, that's not true. And she doesn't believe that. All people are holy, really? So Hitler was holy. Holy Hitler, Saint Hitler. Is that what you're saying? All people are holy? Is that, is that, so you go up to any, go in any, any prison, find any child molester in a prison, and you're going to say that that's a holy person? Maybe you would. Now, uh, all people are not holy. However, all life is sacred because all life was, uh, give, was, is created by God, is given to us by God. And so, therefore, it is a sacred thing that we should, that we should cherish. But she doesn't believe that either, obviously, because she believes in abortion up until the moment of birth and probably afterwards. So she could say, all life is sacred, while at the same time applauding as a child five seconds from birth is dismembered or has his brain sucked out of his head. That's how you treat something that's sacred, AOC? You demented weirdo. You you sociopath. I mean, that's what these people are. Let's, uh, you know, we laugh at AOC for being a, a moron, and we should. But let's also keep in mind, these are truly, hideously monstrous, evil people. When you consider what they are doing and what they're advocating for and trying to facilitate and fund, I mean, it's just... It, 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 it's the, the modern Democrat Party is responsible for evil that is like unprecedented in human history. Some of this stuff that they're doing. And let's uh, always keep that in mind. Speaking of demented freaks, uh, finally, this is from Fox. Sam Britton, the embattled former senior Department of Energy official, was arrested as a fugitive from justice by Maryland police late Wednesday, according to county records reviewed by Fox News Digital. Britain was taken into custody in Rockville, um, a spokesperson for the Metropolitan Washington Airport Authority, which is the lead law enforcement agency for both Washington, D.C. area airports, said that the arrest was related to the theft of airport luggage, which is the third such criminal case um, involving Britain. And I said this is from Fox News. Frankly, I'm a little surprised that Fox News is running this article critical of Sam Britton uh, during Pride Month of all time, because we know that Fox News uh, is a, a big, uh, you know, really, really believes in Pride Month and celebrates it. So um, that's a little bit interesting. But uh, the story is that we have a third case now. This is a third case of Sam Britton stealing uh, a woman's luggage. And, you know, I love this whole story because it's hilarious and it's also embarrassing for the Biden administration if they were capable of being embarrassed. But I also like it because it exposes the absurdity of the idea, uh, an idea that really needs to be exposed, which is that somehow a person's personal life, you know, their proclivities, their fetishes that they engage in, all that stuff, 
that somehow that's irrelevant to the rest of them and that we can't make any broader judgments about a person and about their character just based on their sexual interests, we're told. But of course you can. I mean, of course you can. It was guaranteed, based on this guy's sexual proclivities and his personal life, guaranteed that he would be involved in all kinds of weird and disturbing and probably illegal behavior. Nobody is surprised by this. That's why... The first time you heard about him stealing luggage, even though it's such a bizarre crime to commit, everyone heard that and they thought, well, okay, that makes sense for him. Sure. Yeah, I guess, you know, if someone's going to do something like that, I guess it'd be that guy. Don't judge a book by its cover. Well, you know, when the cover is a naked guy in bondage gear with a, a dog mask on and a dog leash, yeah, you should probably judge it. In fact, that's all, that, that's all you need. Like, you don't need to know anything else about them. Every single thing you need to know is contained right there, and you can make all the judgments in the world about them just based on that. Let's get to the comment section. Who makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? Who's to blame? It's a sweet baby gang. Are you tired of breathing in polluted air in the comfort of your own home and want to safeguard your family's health and well-being? Well, with our new friends at EnviroCleanse, you'll never have to worry again. EnviroCleanse is an in-home air purifying unit designed to destroy cold and flu viruses, allergy and flaming toxins, mold, and even more. With EnviroCleanse, they promise far fewer colds, allergies, and better sleep. They even give you a free air quality monitor to test the difference in your own home. EnviroCleanse sent us our own unit with having six kids and a wife. The last thing any of us need is to get sick because once one person gets sick, it, it tears through the whole house and ruins our week. My kids want to be outside all summer long, and thanks to EnviroCleanse, we don't have to worry about getting sick. Their air purifiers come in all sizes, colors, and prices to fit every budget. They offer additional products like surface cleaner and laundry detergent so you can stay protected in every aspect of your home. Breathe in pure air and live a healthier life. Visit ekpure.com and use code walls for 10% off your EnviroCleanse home air purification unit. Right now, you'll also get their free air quality monitor plus fast free shipping. That's $150 savings, ekpure.com, code Walsh. That's ekpure.com, promo code Walsh. Well, I went to the comments today, and every single comment has to do with uh, the alien story, um, which, is, uh, which is just how it worked out, because all, that's the thing that the audience cares the most about. Um, either it's because of that or because I cherry-picked and looked for only the alien-related uh, comments. Who knows? You know, I can confirm nor deny um, either way, but... This is one comment says, I used to believe in aliens until the government started openly acknowledging their existence. Yeah, and that's, and I, I hear this uh, a lot, this claim, but uh, what, if that's how you're making these judgments, and I don't really blame you, I mean, that's, that is a healthy instinct to have at this point, where the government officially declares something, and so you're automatically skeptical. It's a very healthy attitude to have, uh, absolutely. But then you should be interested to know that the government has not officially declared any of this. And in fact, in an official capacity, has still denied it. The, the, uh, the, the Pentagon put out a statement yesterday denying what that whistleblower said. So these are whistleblowers. These are people uh, going to the media, going to the public on their own with this information. The government has gotten a little bit more uh, open, I suppose, about this, slightly less dismissive than they have been in the past. But I don't think that that's a... a uh, decision that they made ahead of time. I think it's just like they don't have a choice. 
The information's getting out there. It's the internet. It's the, the age of the internet. Everyone can see this stuff. They can see the videos. Um, and, you know, they, it's, it's, we're way past the point where they can say, oh, it was a weather balloon or, hey, it was uh, swamp gas in the atmosphere or whatever. We're way past that. And so they have no choice but to uh, at least acknowledge to a certain extent some of this. And I think that's what's happening. Albino Garcia says two possibilities exist. Either we are alone in the universe or we are not, and both are equally terrifying. Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah, I've heard that quote before, and I, I really disagree with it. I think that um, I think the former possibility is certainly more terrifying, at least more depressing. You know, I, to me, and this is not why I've come to the conclusion I have on this topic, but you know, the idea of a of a of a vast endless universe that spans gazillions and gazillions of miles with billions of galaxies in it, and that it's completely empty except for us alone on this one little rock spinning around one, uh, you know, mid-sized star in a, uh, in a, in a nondescript solar system, at, you know, it's some, uh, some backwater of the galaxy, like that we are alone completely. Um, it could still be the, the case. Like, I'm not saying it's 100% that we're not, but, but to me, I find that certainly a lot more depressing. The idea that we're not alone, I don't think that's terrifying at all. Um, B. Yen says, I love how the human race has become so jaded that the potential discovery of extraterrestrial life doesn't even phase us as a species. It is, that is what is most terrifying at all. That, that's the most terrifying thing, is that, is that this doesn't, like we talked about yesterday, that this doesn't even register. People have already moved on from it. Uh, and I really think, I think the assumption is that, well, each new revelation is just not compelling enough. It's not convincing enough. No, I, I, honest to God, it's not even a joke anymore. I think that we that a UFO could actually just land in full view of everyone, and there could be cameras live streaming it, and the aliens could get off their ships and say, hi, we're aliens, or whatever they would say. Probably not that. But that could happen, and it... It would trend for maybe a day and a half, and then people will be arguing about something else. Christian says, I can't speak for everyone, but ultimately my don't care is that this has been a thing for as long as I've lived. There's always a whistleblower, some new big deal story, some top clearance person saying this. My personal stance is I'll believe it when I see it. Until then, I don't care to waste mental energy and time listening to rumors that have yet to be shown as anything but rumors. I hope it's real. It would be so cool to have all this released. So if this guy's telling the truth and it makes a difference with the government opening up, then great. But until then, the story is just noise. And that probably explains why most of us don't really care. It's not because we think it hurts our faith. It doesn't. I classify this with Bigfoot and uh, Chupacabra. It would be cool to see it if we prove it. But until then, it's just a story and possibly a fiction. Well, even if all, it, like, isn't it at least interesting though? That's, that's what I don't understand. No matter how you, where you fall on the issue, whether you're skeptical or not, or you rule out the possibility or you, whatever it is, how can you not at least find it interesting? And, and you say that it's just noise and like, okay, but we live in a culture that it, it's nothing but noise all the time. And people are talking about things that are incredibly uninteresting all the time that dominate people's attention. Like just today, for example, the big, if you go on um, social media, the big story 
is that the CEO of, uh, or the, the, the president of CNN is s- stepping down. Chris Licht is, is stepping down. That's the big story people are talking about. So who cares? I, who cares? I, I can't make myself care about that kind of story. Who's in charge of CNN? Who gives a damn? I, like, there's nothing less interesting than that. And yet that gets more te- attention than a whistleblower from, you know, for, for, with, with classified information coming out and saying, we have, we have space aliens in our possession that crash landed on Earth. So, yeah, there's a lot of noise. That's true. But even if this is just noise, isn't it at least much more interesting noise than a lot of the other noise that people talk about? Finally, Anthony says, I honestly could listen to Matt Walsh every day talk about aliens. Well, Anthony, uh, you feel that way. I feel that way. I could listen to myself talk about it. We may be alone in that, but, um, but that's, that's okay. You know, it's, it's us against the crowd. And no matter how boring this is to the audience, my solemn pledge is that I will continue to talk about it. Alienating more and more people every day. It will all be worth it in the end, I think. But probably not. If you're looking for something interesting to watch, check out our series, What We Saw, hosted by storyteller Bill Whittle. Season one is focused on Apollo 11, and now season two of What We Saw is in full swing. In episode 13, President Nixon's visit to China introduces a three-power dynamic, but the Watergate scandal undermines his administration and diminishes American morale. The Soviet invasion of Afghanistan further exposes American weakness. In this context, an older president brings renewed optimism youthful vigor, and a plan to end the Cold War and achieve victory after four decades of stalemate. Bill makes you feel like you're there witnessing history. Hear this amazing story in this week's episode of Cold War. All episodes of Cold War are now available to stream, but you have to be a Daily Wire Plus member to see it. So go to dailywire.com slash Cold War to start watching. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. A few weeks ago, the writers in Hollywood went on strike. And for the most part, as a member of the audience, you can't really tell the difference. Most movie studios, you know, generate their films using AI chatbots anyway, I assume. Superhero movies don't have any writers at all, since every film is exactly the same as every other film. One guy wrote a superhero movie 45 years ago, and every other one has just been a version of that one. Overall, um, the writers are obsolete in Hollywood. It's like if I told you that the master carpenter at your local Ikea store was going on strike. Would make sense because Ikea doesn't need carpenters. Their mass-produced junk is made to look like all the other mass-produced junk. And that's how Hollywood has operated for a long time. But there have been rare occasions recently where you can still really feel the absence of the writers. Times when Hollywood has come out with something that obviously needed to be workshopped in the writer's room for a little bit, a little while longer. And uh, here is one such example. Ellen Page, the actress who now calls herself Elliot Page and identifies as a man, has just revealed an alleged hate crime that she experienced last year. She didn't tell us about this event until right now, right when she has a book coming out, which, you know, the timing, I'm sure, is a coincidence. An article, an interview, and an interview in the LA Times recounts this terrible experience. Reading now, quote, And yet here, downstairs at his Sunset Strip Hotel, he is less than a mile from the spot where a man on the street threatened to assault him just last year. As he describes in his book, Paige, who lives in New York, was standing at the corner of Sunset and La La Cienega, taking a quick walk to the Pink Dot convenience store when a stranger approached him. I'm going to effing gay bash you, gay slur, the man threatened. Terrified, Paige began running toward Pink Dot, where... 
uh, employees ushered him inside. From the other side of the door, the man yelled, this is why I need a gun. Quote, now when I'm in Los Angeles, I don't feel comfortable like I used to going for walks, Page says. Yes, as a right-wing bigot myself, uh, I can attest that this is exactly how we talk. I'm going to gay bash you. I swear I'm going to commit homophobia against you. Why I ought to hate crime you. Hate crime you to death, you hear me? You're about to get genocided, pal. These are the kinds of things we say, in Page's fevered imagination anyway. At least now we know why Page infamously took Jussie Smollett's story so seriously. In fact, let's go back and just for fun, um, relive that moment again. Watch. I think the thing we need to know, and I hope my show Gaycation did this, in terms of connecting the dots, in terms of what happened the other day to Jussie. I don't know him personally. I saw, I sent all of my love. Connect the dots. This is what happens. If you are in a position of power and you hate people and you want to cause suffering to them, you go through the trouble. You spend your career trying to cause suffering. What do you think is going to happen? Kids are going to be abused and they're going to kill themselves and people are going to be beaten on the street. I have traveled the world and I have met the most marginalized people you could meet. I am lucky to have this time and the privilege to say this. This needs to stop. I have a media that's saying it's a debate whether or not what just happened to Jesse Smollett is a hate crime. It's absurd. Mm-hmm. This isn't a debate. I mean, I will say that uh, Stephen Colbert's late night show has been on the air for years now. And the one good thing about that moment is it's the one time that his show has actually been funny. But it isn't a debate. You heard it from her. Jussie Smollett was assaulted by two Trump supporters in MAGA hats in Chicago at 2 a.m. in February. And she was accosted by a transphobic right-winger in Hollywood, where transphobic right-wingers are, of course, known to congregate. You must believe all this without question, or you are a bigot. That's what we're told. To which we all respond, well, okay, I guess we're bigots then, because this is nonsense. Nobody uses the phrase, I'm going to gay bash you. And anyone who would use the phrase, if such a person exists, isn't hanging out in Los Angeles and probably wouldn't even know who this woman is if she passed by on the street. Besides, if someone really was screaming anti-gay slurs and making physical threats against a prominent Hollywood actress in broad daylight in L.A. in front of witnesses, you'd think we would have heard about it by now, you know? And, And you'd think the police would have gotten involved, given that making physical threats, whatever the reason, is illegal. Is there security camera footage of this event? Where are the witnesses? Why haven't they said anything? I think we know why. It's hard to say something when you don't exist. But this fanciful tale from Jesse Page is not even the most important takeaway from the LA Times article. Earlier in the piece, we're given the story of how Page came to the conclusion that she's really a man. So I want you to listen to this. Quote, one night he tried to knock himself out took his knuckles to his face and pounded over and over until bruises formed. Four days after, he sat in a lawn chair on the porch, ashamed, his face sore. And then he heard a voice. You don't have to feel this way. It was a small voice, barely discernible, but it kept echoing in his head, a way out. It was as if something in my brain turned around, recalls Page, now 36, the agonizing voice saying, no, you're not. And no, you can't, just switched and became very gentle and loving. Oh, maybe I'm trans. Why don't I explore that? 
Within weeks, he'd scheduled a Zoom consultation with a doctor to discuss top surgery. The procedure was scheduled for November. A month later, he announced to fans on Instagram who have known him since the release of Juno 13 years prior that his name was Elliot. The writers of The Umbrella Academy, the Netflix superhero series on which he'd played a female character for two seasons, immediately began rewriting the role to make him trans. After shooting the third installment of the show in, earlier, in early 2021, Page sat down with Oprah Winfrey to discuss his transition. Within a span of a few months, he had become the most famous, famous transgender man in the world. And there was so much joy. Now, that last part uh, there uh, is um, just there to conform, conform with the apparent legal requirement that anytime you write an article about quote-unquote Elliot Page, you have to claim that uh, she is experiencing joy or trans joy, as it often is described. We are presented with the image of this small, frail, mutilated woman who no longer looks feminine, but also looks nothing like a man at all, and is stuck like so many in this perpetual limbo state, not feminine, but not masculine, the worst of all worlds. And we're supposed to believe that this is a picture of joy. There is no evidence of this joy. There's no evidence of joy in the trans community at all. There's a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, there is a desperation for approval and affirmation. There's self-victimization and persecution complexes. But there's not much joy to be found. Yet the joy is there, we are assured. So much joy. Putting this phantom joy aside, pay attention to the process by which the artist formerly known as Ellen Page realized that she was really a guy named Elliot Page. She was depressed. She was in despair, literally beating the hell out of herself, engaging in self-harm, and in the middle of what we now call a mental health crisis, hearing a voice in her head, and in that moment of a total emotional desperation and deep confusion, it occurred to her that maybe she might be trans. And a few weeks later, she had scheduled to chop off her breasts. A few weeks after that, she announced her trans identity to the world and immediately became, as they say, one of the most famous trans people in the world. So, she went from a depressed actress to a joyful trans person in a matter of weeks. Again, focus on this. It, it, it only occurred to her that she might be trans in that moment when she was punching herself in the head. Shortly thereafter, she was surgically removing parts of her body. Now, we've already seen how these surgeries are approved basically on a whim. And they're so often approved for people who have documented histories of self-harm. It never occurs to the surgeons, or it does and they don't care, that the surgeries themselves are just another form of self-harm, which in this case have been given the veneer of medical validity. And what about this realization of her alleged transness? We're told that the, the rapid and exponential increase in trans identification is not a result of any kind of social contagion. We're told that trans people have always been trans people uh, that they, and, and that they've, they've always existed in the world all throughout history. And yet so often, just as with Jesse Page, the self-identified trans people themselves will tell you that they didn't even consider the trans possibility until recently. Ellen Page was a lesbian for years before she decided that she's actually a heterosexual man, which means that, by the way, her tra transition was a form of conversion therapy from gay to straight, which the left says is impossible, but never mind that. So what does this tell us? Does it tell us that transgenderism is an innate reality, a fundamental part of a person's identity? No, it tells us that transgenderism is a theory, okay? It's a very modern and new theory. It is a theory much like germ theory or the theory of gravity. And I don't mean it's like those theories in the sense of being scientifically proven, like his other theories are, obviously not. 
I mean that it's a theory in the sense that it's a system of ideas meant to explain something. So a theory is. But not all theories are created equal. Some succeed in explaining what they intend to explain, just as the theory of gravity does and germ theory. Others fail utterly, like transgenderism. So there is a real phenomenon that transgenderism seeks to explain. There are people out there who feel depressed, out of place, lost, confused, uncomfortable with themselves, self-loathing. Those kind of people exist in the world, and they exist in greater and greater numbers every day as modern culture specializes in creating this sort of depression and confusion. Transgenderism offers its theoretical explanation. It says that uh, you feel out of place and uncomfortable because actually you should have been born with a different body than the one you have. The solution is to identify as having that body, even though you don't, and to insist that the world play along with your imaginary game. The next step is to begin cutting pieces of yourself off, surgically altering your body to make it somewhat potentially appear as some kind of pale imitation of the body that you think you should have been born with. And once you've done all this, you'll feel better. That's the theory. And it's failed catastrophically by all objective measures. It also makes no rational sense to begin with. Saying that you should have been born with a different body, it's like saying that you should have been born on Venus. Or you should have been born as John Adams in the year 1735. It's incoherent. What do you mean should have? Nobody can explain what that means because it doesn't mean anything. But that's the theory. And people like Ellen Page, who are depressed, self-loathing, unhappy, uh, begin to, to find this theory appealing. They start toying with the idea in their minds, and then they commit themselves permanently to it. So that by the time the theory fails, it's too late. You know, it's like if somebody came up with a, a competing theory of gravity, deciding that Isaac Newton was wrong, and, they, and they, they have a new theory, and then 15 minutes after inventing the theory, decided to jump out of a window on the 25th story, story just to test it out. Well, they'll probably realize sometime before splattering all over the ground that the theory needed a little bit of work. But by then, it's a little bit difficult to backtrack. This is what gender theory does. It tells people that they can fly and then opens the window and coaxes them to jump out. All of them, every single one, will hit the ground and it will hurt. And many will not survive. If there is any trans joy, if it happens at all, it happens very briefly, sometime between the 25th story and the ground. And it always ends in tragedy. And that is why it would be useless to say that Jussie Page is canceled. Instead, all the people celebrating this, not to mention amplifying her outlandish hate crime stories, are today canceled. And that'll do it for the show today. Um, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Have a great day. Godspeed.